<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This week on The Takeout from the Lit Bar Bookstore in the Bronx, Black Lives Matter advocate Hawk Newsom. This episode of The Takeout discusses race and policing. Some of the language is raw and confrontational. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you, thank you. Thank Welcome you. to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where each and every week we are two things. What are those two things? One, relentlessly curious. Two, steadfastly non-ideological. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we don't care about ideas. Quite the contrary. We care about lots of ideas, and our curiosity leads us and leads you in the audience lots of different directions. That's what this show is about. And we're always delighted to take the show on the road in the Lit Bar Bookstore here in the Bronx, the only privately owned bookstore in the Bronx. Noel Santos is the owner. We are delighted to meet her, delighted to be in her bookstore. And our special guest this week is a gentleman named Hawk Newsom, who is the president of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. Hawk, it's a great pleasure to be with you. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Just a small correction. I am the chairman of Black Lives chairman. Matter of Greater New York. Our president is a uh, 19-year-old young black woman who's a sophomore at Hampton University. So let's start there. Um, black Lives Matter, Greater New York, is that different than Black Lives Matter New York? There was once a Black Lives Matter NYC, but um, we, when we appeared, we, are, we were a lot more aggressive than they were in attacking police violence, a lot more aggressive than they were at rallying the community. And uh, our, our being pers- visible and in the streets, in other words. Visible in the streets, um, going into housing projects helping people when there was a miscarriage of justice. We were the first ones on the scene working in churches, working in schools. We were just always working. So it, it, it just became came to a point where they were no longer, and it was just us. And when you say doing the work, what is the work fundamentally about? The liberation of black people. From what? Slavery, from oppression, to break these shackles that, have, that were physical up until, uh, you know, the 1800s, well, if you're looking at the prison industrial complex, then yes, the, the shackles are still there. But most of what we have now is, is, is spiritual oppression. It's mental shackles that are placed on us. We have to liberate our people from this, and the uh, government's not going to do it. The police are definitely not going to help us do it, so we have to do it on our own. Is the government more responsible for this oppression, or is the police most responsible for this oppression you speak of? The government is not by the people for the people. The government is by the politicians to impose the will of corporations on the people. That's the America we live in. Uh, When we start talking about oppression in the form of policing, police are put in place to protect property. Right. Police are put in place to maintain the status quo and what has been and continues to be the status quo in America. Blacks are second class citizens. So our first encounters with policing were the fugitive slave patrols. Right. That was before there was policing as we know it. There were the fugitive slave patrols and our relationship with the police has been the same ever since. Think about this. We were being stopped and frisked centuries ago. When these people would stop us and ask us for our freedom papers if we couldn't produce them or if they felt like they could get away with sending us back into slavery, even though we were free, then they did it. This continues today. All the numbers, all the data, all the statistics say that there's racism in policing, 
Donald Trump said it, Barack Obama's government said it, but who's doing something to change it? And if I hear you correctly, you're saying, so America built itself around discipline and property rights, and those two things from the very beginning of this country placed black people in a secondary position and they've never gotten out from under that. If I hear you correctly. Major, you just gave me something really, really special. Uh, Our founding fathers founded this country out of a riot out of a revolution, which was the Boston Tea Party in the American Revolution. So how did they ensure that that would never happen again? They ruled with whips. They ruled with guns, bayonets, bullets, whatever, right? And they maintained this throughout the course of history, and we look at it now, and they do it through the prison system. This is how they keep people in line. This country is built on power, and it respects nothing less. So until black people get power, we won't have liberation. And that's why we're out building in the streets. I want to play a soundbite I know you'll recognize. This is from an interview you did February 12th of this year on Fox. Uh, Tommy Lahren, I believe, is the name mm-hmm. of the host. White supremacy Barbie. So uh, let's play that. And uh, I want to get to your reaction. We'll have a conversation on the other side of it. I think that it is a tool of white supremacy to say, If you want what you get, if you want freedom, then you get it by protesting peacefully. Why is it a tool of white supremacy? Because the white supremacists who built this country never earned anything peacefully. They did it through bullets and blood. And that's the American way. Now, I don't need to tell you, Hawk, some of my audience will say, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, Were we all white supremacists? Am I? Because I live in this country and because I admire it and I have... Uh, respect for it and I believe in its founding principles does that make me a white supremacist and secondarily you fall very much it sounds to me on the Malcolm X side of the conversation that went through the entire civil rights movement starting in the mid to late 50s which is the better approach Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X had rather public disagreement about this and we lionize and have a national holiday for Martin Luther King and not for Malcolm X so Martin Luther King was labeled as a terrorist when he was alive his approval rating was basically negative. He was a villain. America hated Dr. Martin Luther King. And it wasn't until he was dead, until after the American government killed him, that they started to glorify him because they wanted to keep black people sleep. They wanted to keep black people docile. What was happening when when Martin Luther King Jr. was having those peaceful marches in the 1960s? There were riots everywhere. And I contend that America felt the pressure and said, I'd rather listen to Dr. King than deal with these radical ones over here because they get it. They know what this country responds to. They know what this country respects. So let's deal with the Christian preacher. I am a Christian. Let's deal with the Christian preacher who promotes peace as opposed to dealing with these radical by any means necessary type of folks. Because America is a by any means necessary type of country. And for anyone to say that we are not, they'd have to be extremely ill-informed or willfully ignorant. We're the number one military power in the world like how else do we exceed except through violence but let's rewind this Mm -hmm. all the way back how do you describe christopher columbus uh as an explorer but i know he is also regarded as that and an exploiter I, I, i would i think an exploiter is a is a way that you could whitewash who he was. This is how white people feel comfortable with, Chris, with promoting Christopher Columbus and celebrating his holiday. What do you call a person who sleeps with children? A pedophile. What do you call a person who steals? A thief. What do you call a person who commits mass murder? A genocidal maniac. Then why don't we call Christopher Columbus who he really is? Why do indigenous people have to go and walk past statues of Christopher Columbus? Why do people in the Bronx have to go to Columbus High School? A person who who is a villain. A person who is a villain. Why do we have to go to... I want to go to Germany and go to an Adolf Hitler High School. Right? (laughs) I want to find Adolf Hitler Avenue in the middle of Germany. You won't find that, but here, only in America. How is it a white supremacist country? How is it not? 
everything here that this country promotes, it's, its ideal of beauty is a white woman with straight hair. You realize in 2020, we are passing laws to say that black people can wear their natural hair in the workplace? How is this not a white supremacist country when white people have all the rights and all the power and all the wealth and black people are criticized for fighting for their rights? That's the voice of Hawk News from our special guest. We're here at the takeout in the Bronx at the Lit Bar Bookstore. Back for segment two in just a second. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. We want to thank Noel Santos, who is the owner-operator of the Lit Bar Bookstore, the only private bookstore in the Bronx. Thank you so much, Noel, for having us. Hawk Newsom is our special guest. You mentioned, Hawk, in the first segment, you're a Christian. I've seen you say that Jesus Christ was the most radical revolutionary of all time, mm-hmm. yet he also had this idea, love your enemy, turn the other cheek, and not respond, and yet you have an activist voice and a sense, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but some might describe it as militancy, some might describe it as aggressiveness. I want to have you get a, I want to give you a chance to put these two concepts together. Okay, let's think Jesus Christ, who is commonly referred to as the Prince of Peace, right? Whose description in the Bible would lead everyone to believe that he was black. Feet of bronze, hair of wool. That's not what I see <laughs> in churches across the world. That's not what I see. I see this, this light-skinned man with long, straight hair. That's white supremacy. Kind of a surfer. That, yeah, that's white supremacy. You have to understand mm-hmm. that that's white people saying, hey, God looks like us. Forget what the Bible says. God looks like us. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people come at me like, how can you adopt this oppressor's religion? But I see Christ for who he is as a black revolutionary, right? Who went against the government. Who The went, prevailing order, yeah. That's it. Who went from town to town doing what? Holding rallies. Mm-hmm. Helping Speaking the sick, his truth. Feeding the poor. Sounds Black Panther-esque. Right. And just like most black liberation fighters like the Panthers, like Dr. King, like the Honorable Malcolm X, what happened to him? He was arrested by the police and killed by the government. Just off that alone. Falsely accused. Falsely accused. Jesus. How could you not say Jesus was black? (laughs) This is what happens to black people all the time. Yeah, Major. So it's, 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 it's tough, right? But you talk about the Prince of Peace. They don't ever tell you about the Jesus that flipped over the table, mm-hmm. right? Because he didn't like the way the churches were being ran. And right. that's what we could say about the pastors who forgive Donald Trump without him even repenting for his evil ways or for his adultery, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to forgive people, but they should be repentant and not late when they're running for president like Bloomberg, whatever, right? But... um. But we, we really need to talk about David and Goliath. There were wars in the Bible where people were fighting for freedom. freedom. Moses, the plagues, mm-hmm. the slaying of the gods, the splitting of the Red Sea and it crashing down on Pharaoh. There were fights in the Bible to liberate people. There were. But we choose to ignore that and, so we can and pacify And to use uh, righteous power mm-hmm. against oppression. That's it. I mean, that's a story that runs thematically through the Old and New Testament. But you, you know what baffles me, and I'm consistently bemused, how the oldest terrorist organization in the United States of America doesn't come as under as much scrutiny as Black Lives Matter does. The KKK has claimed lies for centuries. 
Black people hanging from trees. Black people murdered. KKK members standing next to sheriffs. Why does everyone ignore the FBI report that says white supremacists have infiltrated every uh, area of law enforcement? Nobody pays that any attention, but they're mad at black people who say, hey, we're, we should fight back in self-defense. It's, hip- it's hypocritical. So I want to let our audience know how this conversation evolved. So here, here's the sort of daisy chain of events. Several weeks ago, I'm in my office in Washington. I see Arthur Brooks give the preliminary conversation at the National Prayer Breakfast. He talks about a book he wrote called Love Your Enemies. He encourages President Trump to do that. President Trump doesn't do that. And I say to myself, I'd like to meet Arthur Brooks, have a conversation about that, I, that book. We did that a couple weeks ago. And we mentioned in that conversation something that's in Arthur Brooks's book, which I read, talking about you appearing in 2017 at the mother of all rallies, Washington, D.C., Black Lives Matter activists seeing and being confronted by those supporting President Trump. You were invited on stage, and these are, this is one of the things you said. The reason why we fight is to draw attention to issues and to fix it. We are not anti-cop. <laughs> Describe that overall experience to my audience. We were protesting, and police were sweating because they were like, Jesus Christ, if these people storm, these eight activists, it's about 2,000 people, we're just going to get trampled, right, if we try to do anything about it. It was a very tense situation, and they asked us to go on stage. Uh, We didn't agree with anyone there. Uh, in 90% of the fundamental beliefs that they have. But um, we just went up on stage, and as we were walking to the stage, it was like the sky opened up, and I'm deeply spiritual. I meditate, I pray every day. And it was like God spoke to me and said, make them understand who you are, right? So I went up there, and I talked to people who were pretty much white supremacists about two things, about the two things that they hold dear, the Bible and the Constitution. And I compared their lives to what's documented and, and set forth as a guideline in their books, in which they have run amok of. Because if you believe in the Bible and you believe in loving your neighbor, then there's no way you could watch Eric Garner be choked to death while saying, I can't breathe 11 times, right? If you believe in the Constitution then you would be against illegal searches and seizures by police, uh, uh, the Eighth Amendment against um, unfair punishment, right? These are things you would believe in. If you believed in the Bible, then you would say, give your neighbor a cup of water. I really hope you don't cut this, right? We, we cut nothing. Thank you. We cut nothing. What you say is, go, is what goes out. Right now, people are trying to come into this country to flee persecution possibly death in their own countries and Christians are telling them to wait you don't belong here go back home do it the right way how are their circumstances now different from Mary and Joseph's circumstances when they were trying to give birth to Jesus they were by definition refugees I've done a story about the administration reducing the number of permissible refugees so they're not even saying do it the right way they're saying, even if you do it the right way, this, the numbers are shrinking. It's so hypocritical. I mean, that's a real thing. That's not an that's not editorial comment. That's a real that's thing. That's real, right? And I, I, I appreciate that. So when we went forth in the mother of all rallies, I tried to find you common ground. You said I'm ground. American, I'm a Christian? Yeah. Right off the top. That's it. I tried to find common ground. But I've grown since then. I have a tattoo on my chest that says progress or perish, right? And I was at, at this school of thought where I said, you know, not all cops are bad, but how can they not be bad? 
If they allow these things to happen, how can they not be bad if they're engaging in stopping frisk? Frisk. How can they not be bad if they're filling up the the, the the jail houses? If they're falsifying documents? If they're falsifying records? How can they not be bad if Eric Garner's mother is standing in the courtroom seeking justice and they're standing outside with shirts that say "I can breathe" when the rallying cry for Eric Garner was? I can't breathe. You understand, like, there's malicious intent. They are murdering people. They are raping people here in New York. And other cops don't hold them accountable. So here are these heroes, quote-unquote heroes, that, that swore to uphold the law. But they're not applying it to their colleagues. So no, f*** them. F*** all police officers at every single level. Until they, until they do the right thing. And I mean that from my core, okay? And no, I do not believe that people should lay down and be choked to death if there is something you can do to protect that person or yourself, then you should absolutely do it because they're killing us and they're getting away with it every time. And you know when the streets are most peaceful? After a cop gets killed. when That's when police have this newfound respect for black people. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know what it is. But I've been major. I've been protesting in places where the victim, the victim's body isn't even cold, like Deborah Danner, uh, a schizophrenic woman who was shot to death here in the Bronx, right? Uh, four out of the five cops said that they would not have shot her. But Sergeant Hugh Barry shot her to death because she was holding a stick and sitting on a bed 10 feet from him. He shot her because she was black and he could get away with it. We were protesting in front of the precinct the next day and the police officers were laughing at us, right? Like it was a joke. So we started chanting, thank you, Dallas. You remember what happened in Dallas? Uh, yes, we're going to talk about that in a second. Right? Hold a thought. Hold a thought. That's the voice of Hawk Newsom. We are in the Bronx at the Lit Bar Bookstore. Back for segment three in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the Lit Bar Bookstore here in the Bronx. Our guest, Hawk Newsom, chairman of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. You were... In the middle of that conversation, talking about Dallas, mm -hmm. for those who don't remember, there was a shooting in Dallas. Five police officers, I believe is the number, were killed in that shooting, and that sparked more intense debate about what this clash of ideas and class, clash of notions is about policing and either the Black Lives Matter movement or those who feel long oppressed by police tactics. And I want to play a soundbite for you. This is from then-candidate Donald Trump in 2016, July 18th, which speaks to some of this. That's number four. You see them marching, and you see them on occasion, at least. I've seen it, where they're essentially calling death to the police. And that's not acceptable. People get themselves into big jams for saying a lot less than that. I mean, I've seen them marching down the street, essentially calling death to the police. And I think we're going to have to look into that, especially in light of what's happening with these maniacs going and shooting our police. So, that's what he said in 2016. If I heard you correctly just a moment ago, you said something pretty close to that. Uh, I think if you're acting out of self-defense, then you should protect yourself. Because you're dealing with people who can kill you and get away with murder. We're talking about survival at a bare minimum. We're talking about but how do, you, how do you have a society that functions if anyone who is a police officer of any color, black, white, Latino, mm -hmm. fears for their life when they're trying to do what the police department is organized to do, which is, yes, as we've said, protect private property, but also create order in a society that functions. I mean, if they feel as if they're going to be targets for just being police officers, how does a civil society function? When do you see these police officers de-escalating a situation? There was a black woman in Texas who was shot through her window last year 
Walter Scott was running away from a police officer and was shot in his back several times. And you saw a police officer place the evidence down near his body. I have spinal damage from police arresting me for protesting. While I was arrested, they lifted me up and slammed me down on my chest. Uh, Andrew Kearse was left in the back of a police car to die after he said, I can't breathe. An officer helped me over 70 times. He died 17 minutes later. So what I'm saying to you is, am I, are we supposed to encourage people to sit back and be murdered? What I'm asking is, when do you see police officers de-escalating these situations? When we are out marching, Police officers look for reasons to arrest us. Police officers drive through black neighborhoods across the country, stare at people, antagonize people to escalate situations so that they can arrest people. This is not Hawk Newsom making things up. These are the facts. And, and I get it, right? I don't want to see any innocent person hurt. I don't want to see any innocent person hurt anywhere but these people are bullies with badges who behave like a gang did you know that a cop was arrested for running coke with el chapo in new york not too long ago did not know that yes but this is this is what it is we have this fantasy about what policing is they're not heroes they're human beings right but when you said at the mother of all rallies like a bad cop like a bad lawyer like a bad blank politician that language itself represents that not every plumber is bad, not every lawyer is bad, not every politician is bad. The ones that are singularly bad must be held accountable. Mm -hmm. But what I hear a little bit more of you saying this morning in this conversation is, no, they're all bad, yes. and there is something uniformly abusive and oppressive about the way the police, A, are organized, trained, and deployed. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Uh because you there's know, something you called, know people. There's something called the blue wall of silence. You know what this is. The blue wall of silence is a code that says police officers should not snitch on other police officers. Police officers falsify documents, okay? One of the killers involved in Eric Gardner's murder said that, you know, I put a felony charge on there even though it didn't belong. Five years later. He was not prosecuted for perjury. Police are not being prosecuted for killing each other because the pol other police officers aren't policing them. There is no justice in policing. So what is a remedy or the remedy? So, because when I, when, I, when I first entered journalism back in 1984, I covered police news in three different cities. Long conversations about all sorts of things civilian review boards, other procedures that were outside of the police. Mm -hmm. Police departments generally resisted those. Mayor's offices often had to rely on the police department for, for if not direct political support, indirect political support. What is a remedy that is reasonable or even useful to deal with this issue that you've raised? Here's what was cut out of Tommy Loren's show. She sat there and agreed with me that if a police officer falsifies government records to protect another cop's action, or if they lie on these records, they should be prosecuted and sent to jail, period. Right. So now it's Major and Hawk. We're patrolling the neighborhood. Hawk decides- Should that be a special category of crime? Yes. It should be a heightened crime. It like like, we, like we say, if, you, if, there's a, if there's a burglary or a robbery and there's a weapon involved, it's a higher form of crime. Absolutely. You should say as a matter of perjury or anything else, it should be a higher form of crime exactly. and specifically defined. For law enforcement. For law enforcement. Because right now, we, Bring have, the mic a little bit closer. we have a mercy on officers, right? And we treat them better than we would treat the average criminal in the judicial system because they're officers. Shouldn't it be heightened? Shouldn't someone who is put in charge of someone who is entrusted with whole, upholding the law should be held more accountable than the average person for breaking said laws? Police should be fined. They should be penalized harsher than the average person. Should internal affairs departments within police departments be organized strictly by police officers or outside representatives of the community? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. 
that internal affairs bureaus are not my question the way no, it no, no. exists no 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 but i know it does the way it, yeah yeah it's asinine bro like it's asinine so i, I know that if i'm on a basketball team i'm not gonna rat out my teammates so how are you entrusting cops to police other cops because those same internal affairs those same internal affairs officers those same internal affairs officers knows what it's like to be in the street Right. They have this disposition on what the public is. You don't need that. What we've been advocating for for years. If somebody like Bloomberg wanted to be president, they should say something like, you know what? I'm going to create a federal task force made up by lawyers who are the greatest uh, uh, litigators we could find to prosecute police officers. And uh, we're going to find and train uh former military we're going to find and train different people to investigate misconduct by cops there's no way in the world cops should be investigating under cops some of these civilian complaint review boards are headed up by cops we tried to uh have an elected civilian complaint review board here in new york it's called the ecrb and the city did everything in their power to shut us down and we actually took over city hall we went up in a meeting they had to evacuate everybody no violence, mm-hmm. peaceful protest, but um, it was it was really interesting. When you think about this issue and where it sits today, twenty twenty, as compared to where it started from several years ago, is it moving forward? Are these ideas gaining greater currency, or do you feel like it's sort of fallen by the wayside? Black Lives Matter, uh, the movement, paved the way for Bernie. Sanders' presidency. Occupy Wall Street kind of sparked a fire and, and, and kind of led way to the second civil rights movement. And now you look at the policies that we fought for, you look at the, our ideals. Hey, let's make sure that everybody in America has a place to live. Let's make sure that they have something to eat. Let's make sure if they could see, that they can see a doctor. These are just simple, common Christian values, if, if I say so myself. And these are things that we advocate for. Just, just, just a decent life for everyone. This is what we push for. And now this is what the national standard is. If you're a Democrat. If you're a Democrat. Yeah. Hawk, hold that thought. More from Hawk Newsom, our special guest here on The Takeout. Segment four coming up. Stay tuned. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the Lit Bar Bookstore in the Bronx, the only privately owned bookstore in the Bronx. Noel Santos, thank you so much for opening up your bookstore early this Thursday morning to us. Hawk Newsom is our special guest chairman of the Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. Hawk, something just happened on your phone yes. that caught your attention, and when you described it to me, it most certainly caught my attention. Absolutely. What happened? Uh, there's, a, there's an officer here in the city that was told to arrest me um, by his superior. and Some time ago? A few years ago. Okay. Yeah, I can't say what trial it was around, but yeah, a few years ago. And he refused to order. And since then, he's followed us on social media. Um, he doesn't come to our events, our protests, or anything like that. But my sister's running for Congress. He supports her campaign, and he's in complete agreement. With and, what we say. And there was a little post about what we're doing here. Yeah. And he just liked it. And he just liked the post and sent clapping hands. <laughs> right on. So, <laughs> so uh, in this very conversation, glimmers of progress, uh, glimmers of hope. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you about the concept of what Arthur Brooks talked about in our conversation with him a couple weeks ago, love your enemies. And... It sounds to me as if what you went through in 2017 at the Mother of All Rallies was a momentary reflection of something that was inspirational, but you now look at it somewhat differently uh, oh. because it was described at the time as not a kumbaya moment, but a moment of, of uh, surprising harmony. It was. Was it genuinely a moment of surprising harmony then, but a temporary one that you've either moved on for, from or reflected upon differently now? I think that what happened at the mother of all rallies is innate, right? It's God-given. It's an ability that I was given by God to communicate with people. And for them to communicate positively with you in some instances on the other side of that. Absolutely. 
There was a bikers from Trump guy who wanted you to pose with his son, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and um, pictures and everything. Pictures. He he he. Inconceivable an hour before. Absolutely. He went home and his wife said, "Why'd you let that nigger hold my child?" What? Yes, the bikers from Trump guy. Why'd you let we we texted for a bit after that? Why'd you let that nigger hold my child? That's what he said that she said to him. Absolutely, but we we kind of separated. When he wanted me to support someone who was like anti-immigration, very pro-police for Congress, because it was like, oh, you just want to exploit my blackness. Let me explain something to you, Major. My sister's running for Congress here in the Bronx, right? All of the progressive groups in New York City, white-led progressive groups, will not support the campaign. People who've marched with us, people who've given us accolades and awards, do not want to see that black woman in power. Democratic socialists of America do not, they don't want to empower a black woman. If you look at the Democratic Party, which is white-led, and and I contend that they really don't care about black people, the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans is the Republicans say, I'm not giving you anything. And the Democrats will be like, yeah, I'll give it to you, but you just got to wait. Just march, protest peacefully, and wait. I'll make sure that you get it. Those are the only differences. Both of these groups oppress us. And those are unacceptable options. Unacceptable options. From your vantage point. And that's it. So we're here in the South Bronx, and we're running my sister. And the same people who have supported us and, and you know when you come to these, to these movements, what they do is they, sit, they say, come and stand in the front you know, so we can represent you. It's tokenizing us, right? So a lot of the people from after the mother of all rally, they wanted to tokenize me, right? Mm. They're like, oh, he's like, you know, he's Kanye, he's Candace Owen. No, the hell I am not, you know? I'm more like Malcolm and mm. a lot less like Martin, you know? But, um, and, and I'm here because I can sit down. If people are genuinely interested in discourse and have an open mind, I'll talk to anyone. Even if they're my enemy, I'll talk to anyone. But once I, I, I understand that you're trying to exploit me or that you have a closed mind, then there's nothing that I could do for you. I want to talk to you about Ferguson and Michael Brown for a second. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with that and the facts of that case being so centrally a part of the Black Lives Matter narrative? Because even the Obama administration Justice Department, after the grand jury acquitted Darren Wilson, looked at it and said, the evidence backs up Darren Wilson's account. Hands up, don't shoot, didn't happen. He wasn't running away. He wasn't shot in the back. He was shot in the front. And yet that became synonymous in certain ways with the movement and the expression. Are you comfortable with that? Is there anything about that, either the way the Obama Justice Department handled it that you disagree with, those uh, assessments of the facts? The people who knew Michael Brown, the people who were there said differently. With that being said, Obama's just uh, Obama's government found... Racism, inherent, patterns and practices there. But here's the problem, Major. I am under no illusion, and I don't want any one of your listeners to fall under the illusion that Democrats actually give a about black people. You understand? I don't want people to believe that. Think about this. Obama's White House had the ability to prosecute the cop who killed Eric Garner, who was later found guilty of that death in an interdepartmental hearing, had the ability to prosecute that police officer. Federally. Federally. And did not. Okay? Two weeks before Hillary and Trump were to go at it in the general election, he said, you know what? New York's not doing their job. We're going to bring the Eric Gardner case to Washington, D.C. And if you elect Hillary, she'll take care of it. Then they bring out the mothers of the movement out on stage with Hillary. What has Hillary done for these people since then? What have these Democrats done to fix policing? What about Rahm Emanuel in Chicago and the videotape of a well publicized but much later publicized because it came out much later after the fact of an african-american man in the middle of the street are you making a point by posing it as a question because you see the same things that i see major i'm just asking it's it's extremely hypocritical it's extremely who's here to liberate black people who's truly here to help immigrants who's really here doing that who i'm asking you we are that's what that's your point that's it 
not just not Hawk Newsom. I am not the voice of anyone. Mm-hmm. I am one of the voices. Mm-hmm. And I just get to sit with people like you. Mm-hmm. And they put me in front of a lot of cameras. And because I went to law school, because I have a degree in communication. And you were in the prosecutor's office. Yes. yes. How does that inform your perspective on this? Oh, man. It's interesting. When I took the job at the Bronx District Attorney's Office, I was happy. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to law school. I get to see how this works. So Justice in action. Justice in action. Now, the thing is, the thing is, I am not just somebody who grew up in the hood, but I was really outside. I was really in the mix. I was really in things. So I know people. Okay, so while I'm working in this prosecutor's office, the police are telling me the police, the police are telling me how they beat people up every time they run laughing about it. I clean up well. I wear nice suits, throw on a tie. I'm articulate so they feel comfortable. They think I'm on their side. I can't possibly be one of them. Guess what? I am one of them. I'm more like them than I am like you. And every time I open up a file that has an allegation of resisting arrest. There's a lump on someone's head. There's stitches somewhere in that person's body. There's even staples. This is time after time after time again. And a district attorney isn't doing anything about it. Nobody is correcting these things. I have called so many different people in New York government to say, hey, police are coming through after block parties in the summertime, simple picnics, and they're pepper spraying senior citizens. They're hitting people with sticks. They're abusing people. It's like the Gestapo. I could bring you out one day this summer. And, and I was like, I need you to say something to stop it. Someone pointed a taser at my seven-year-old friend's daughter, my, my friend's seven-year-old daughter. And I said, hey, you, you have to say something. This is not right. It was like, this is not the way it works. We, ha- we, we can't just call the police out like that. When I tell you that we are here as a movement, as a people, who is saying no more politics as usual. Bernie is anti-establishment mm-hmm. and is anti-establishment. And that's why from your perspective, it's catching on to a certain degree. Yeah. But even with him being anti-establishment, we had to force him to say he was for reparations. Who's really on our side, Major? Hawk Newsom has been our special guest. Stay tuned for those of us on our radio audience. This is the end of the show. But for those of you on CBSN and elsewhere, please stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. Thanks for joining us. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. We're in the Bronx. We love to take this show on the road each and every opportunity we get. And uh, we thank again Noel Santos, who is the proprietress of the Lit Bar Bookstore, the only privately owned bookstore in the Bronx. Thank you so much for letting us in. Hawk Newsom, chairman of Pre- chairman, 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 Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. Um, I want to play a soundbite f- from you. From a TED Talk you gave here in New York City back uh, in 2018, August 24th, an uh, important date for me. Happens to be my birthday. Right uh, and I want that to run now and have a conversation on the other side of it. That's number five, Arden. Are you going to be the generation to say enough is enough? Because I'll tell you this. Many of you say if I were alive during the Holocaust, I would have done this. I would have done such and such. If I were alive during slavery, I would have done such and such. We're living in similar times. And I tell you that you're doing the same thing now that you would have done back then. Meaning nothing. Meaning asking yourself, what should I do? Or being sort of less active than A, you could be, or from your vantage point, should be. Now, one thing I want to run by you, because you know, Hawk, this show is on 60 radio stations around the country. You know some of the things you've said have already cause some people to snap the radio off. They're angry with you. They think that you are either too militant or too aggressive in either your language or your denunciation of police. Invoking Holocaust and slavery. Certainly within the Jewish community and most Americans, the Holocaust is sort of a separate place, a place of murderous intent that is singular in, a, in world history. Slavery also in many quarters in this country is regarded the same way. When you invoke those images and those events in history, are you doing so metaphorically or are you doing so absolutely, literally 
and saying, this is happening, it's just slow motion, and you can't see it, and if you can't see it, you're not properly motivated. When I was on the front lines in Charlottesville, Mm -hmm. I saw people wearing MAGA hats. I saw people with Confederate flags. I saw people with a swastika on. I saw people doing the hail Hitler. Yeah, and they were and they were chanting certain slogans right from that era. That's it. So out loud in full public view, without any apology. Without any apology, and these or hesitation. These are white men who the president called very fine men. So absolutely, unambiguously, and unequivocally, I'm likening the struggle of the Jews, of Jewish people, to that of black people. Why? Because you can't find two people who have been targeted as much as our people. Yes, the Holocaust happened, but guess what? We've been experiencing a Holocaust for centuries, and we're still experiencing it. Like, you talked about the TED Talk. Companies like Pepsi-Cola, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, they're poisoning I've heard you talk about this, the, the corporate food empire and how, uh, from your vantage point, yes. it is something that systematically tries to create consumers and then, to use your words, not mine, addicts mm-hmm. out of African Americans. That's it. And why doesn't our, why, doesn't, why don't people call them out? Because they give so much money in philanthropy. They give so much money in philanthropy. That's why Black Lives Matter Greater New York has never taken a corporate dollar. Right. We've never taken money from government officials. This is all built by the people and for the people. And we're here to protect the people from any and all enemies. This is love for humanity at its purest form. This is love. There's no money in this. Mm-hmm. I rarely get to see my family. I do travel to very cool places. I do get to sit with cool people like you. <laughs> but I deal with so much pain mm-hmm. and trauma. On a day-to-day basis, we do, and we still do it out of love. When we don't get many wins, when we have to march, when we have to sing, when we have to fight for our lives, and to turn around and hear people say, hey, you're angry. Well, it's worth recalling that one of the phrases of the civil rights movement was, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's it, right? I mean, so we have to be solutions. Like, mm -hmm. there wasn't a bookstore in the Bronx for years, in Noel. We have it. Created this, mm-hmm. right? With really awesome books and, 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 and I, a space. I see some of them are grabbing. The space is, is beautiful. But another thing that we're not talking about is gentrification, mm-hmm. right? Developers are coming into the Bronx and pushing people out. The majority of people in Harlem are no longer black, okay? It's, it's white folk who are coming in and exploiting the lower rents. So who's allowing this to happen? Look at New York's politicians. Black politicians who are receiving $250,000 from developers for a race that only spans a few blocks, not even a whole mile. There's so much insidious that's happening. And then people say stupid things to me. That's why I just get frustrated, right? Mm -hmm. They say things to me like, what about black on black crime? There's no such thing as black on black crime. White people harm other white people. Asians harm other Asians. There's no such thing as black on black crime. Yeah, we Everybody, don't call it white on white crime. Never. Asian right? on Asian but crime. Here's the problem. Why don't people articulate the link between poverty, trauma, and crime? All they want to talk about is crime, but they're not talking about the impoverished communities. They're not talking about the depression and the anxiety and the heartache associated with being in these communities. All they want to talk about is the byproduct and the end result. And that's it. We're just here to talk, speak the truth, my brother. So one thing we do on the show, and mm-hmm. this is the segment where we kind of lighten things up ever All so right. much. All right. I want to ask you three questions that every guest on the show has answered, and our audience loves the answers because though you've shared a great deal about your personal story, this gives people another sense of your personal story. So most influential book in your life, one of your favorite movies, and if you're traveling as you often do, long flight or a long drive, what kind of music, artist or genre are you most likely to listen to? Wow. Most influential book, Autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite movie? Mm-hmm. Or oh, one of them. Uh, one of them, The Matrix. 
Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. whole series like he was Jesus, man. He was the second That's, coming. That, that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on this program said the very same thing. Wow. Yes, That's most just, important movie for him, and because of all of the references, Neo, the one, yeah, uh, the either biblical or deeply religious Fighting symbolism the systems. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It was okay to kill cops in that movie because he was just trying to liberate the world. I'm not telling anybody to do that. I'm just talking about our hip hop and music. Music. Oh man. Right now, so you're getting your groove on. What is it? I've been listening to Gary Clark Jr. Mm-hmm. He's so dope. Um, uh, I love Kendrick, Jay Z. Uh, let me think. Uh, Cardi B and A Boogie. Mm-hmm. Those that's like that. Those are the rappers that I listen to, and you can always catch me listening to Public Enemy. There you go. With that, without a doubt. Hawk, it's been a pleasure. Oh, one last thing. Yeah, I listen to T.D. Jakes or his daughter Sarah Jakes every morning. For like an hour, I try to sit still or take a style shower and, and kind of let God be the entry point of my day. There you go. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seegers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey hi this is jill schlesinger cbs news business analyst certified financial planner and host of the money watch podcast this is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring it is a show that's all about you it's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.